reading from the 25th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, beginning with the 31st verse. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate people from one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep at His right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at His right hand, Come, you that are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave Me food. I was thirsty, and you gave Me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed Me. I was naked, and you gave Me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of Me. I was in prison, and you visited Me. Then the righteous will answer Him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. That, dear ones, is a difficult text. It's hard to hear. People aren't fond of stories of judgment these days. Opinions on this text vary greatly as to its meaning. There's a prevailing classical interpretation. And there's a modern interpretation that depends heavily on other verses in Matthew. The classical interpretation is that the nations refer to all of humanity. The least of these refers to simply those who suffer due to the injustices in this world. There are those who are hungry, who are thirsty, strangers, naked, sick, or imprisoned. In this view, Jesus' story of judgment is a warning to us that how we treat those people how we treat those who are least will determine or at least factor in the king's determination of who will enter his kingdom. The second most common and modern interpretation understands nation as a reference to those who are neither Jews nor Christians. 
But those who received the least of these, the least of these being Christian missionaries who went to them to teach them about Christ. Those who have gone out into the unbelieving nations sent by Jesus. The question is, how were they treated? Those who cared for them will enter the kingdom of Christ. And those who rejected them will not. I think both views are plausible. Both can inform us about Christ's desire for those who are least in the world. Those who hunger, those who thirst, those who are alone, those who are naked, and those who are oppressed. I think the chances are pretty good that each of us knows someone who fits at least one of those categories, or maybe several. Or we know of someone. This story of judgment invites us to take sober stock of how we have treated them. Have we served them or have we ignored them? It turns out that there's a common thread between how the goats react and how the sheep react. They're both surprised. The sheep are surprised to find out that they have served the king. By serving others. The goats are surprised that they have ignored the king. They're both surprised to learn that Christ, our king, identifies himself as those who are least of these. The sheep respond, Lord, when did we see you? And Jesus' answer is that when they saw and cared for those who were poor and oppressed, they saw and cared for him. To them, he says, joyful words, inherit the kingdom. The goats respond, Lord, when did we see you? And Jesus' answer is that when they ignored those who were poor and oppressed, they ignored him. And to them, he speaks heartbreaking words, depart from me. Away with you. Both the sheep and the goats are surprised. Christ's judgment affords them not only a clear view of themselves, but also a clear view of Christ's heart for the least. And they are surprised. Theologian Stanley Hauerwas says that it can't be so for us. He says that the difference between followers of Jesus and those who do not know Jesus is that we who have seen Jesus no longer have any excuse to avoid the least of these. We know our King's heart for the poor and the oppressed. We have been plainly told. In this story, Jesus, Christ the King, Christ our King, sits on His throne, a throne of glory and majesty, given to Him by God the Father because He gave His life for all who were least including us. For all of humanity, the least oppressed by sin and death. What we glimpse in this story is our King identifying Himself with all those for whom He died. If we follow Him and love Him and serve Him, does it not make sense that we also would grow to love all of those who hurt, who suffer, And feel alone? 
Is it really surprising that we will be held held to account for how we treat those for whom our king gave his own life? Harawas is right. We have no excuses. We know that Jesus loves, cares for, and longs for all those who could be called least in this world, including ourselves. In some way, we all hunger, we all thirst, we all struggle with sickness or feel alone. It's good to know that our Lord identifies with us in our suffering and to know that He expects us to identify with others who suffer and to serve them. The kingdoms of this world are often built by the blood of the poor and the oppressed, of those who suffer. The societies of this world are supported on the backs of the poor and the oppressed, but it's not so with Christ's kingdom and with the community inside society He came to build. In Christ's kingdom, the hungry are fed, the thirsty are quenched, those who are alone are comforted and welcomed into a community of love. Those who are naked are clothed, and those who are sick are visited, and those who are oppressed are set free. In 2007, I went with a group on a mission trip to Nicaragua, and once we were arrived, we were loaded on this freshly painted American school bus that had this really cool mural on it. We were transported to the town that we would be staying in and to the house that we would be living in for the next week as we rode out to different villages and witnessed and ministered to the sick. I overheard some of the team talking about how we were bringing Christ to those people. What we learned that week is that Christ was already there. By coming to the poor of that country, we were simply joining Jesus where Jesus was already at work and joining in what Jesus was already doing. But Christ was already present with them. He was waiting for us in their faces, in their tears, and in their pain, and in their hurt, and in their joyful thank yous. And we were surprised. We had expected to bring Christ to them, but what we learn is that Christ was already with them. And that as we served them, we were serving Christ. As we treated them, we were treating Christ. Dear ones, if you want to see more and know more of your King, spend time caring for someone else. Someone who's hungry or thirsty or alone or naked or sick, imprisoned or impressed. Our Lord has built a kingdom for them on His own back and through the shedding of His own blood. Our purpose is to be that kingdom to them. To be that place of hope and wholeness. If we refuse to serve them, we refuse that kingdom. And there will be judgment. We cannot ignore the tension of judgment in this story. But I want you to know that serving and loving others just to get into God's kingdom is not the point of this text. Jesus is not challenging us to go out and earn salvation for ourselves or a place in His kingdom. The writers of the New Testament have made it clear that salvation is a gift from God. 
That it's a free gift without price, except that price that was paid by Christ. We're saved by grace through faith, Paul says. But Paul also says that we're created anew in Christ. We are saved for the good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. That God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. The righteousness required to enter Christ's kingdoms comes only through faith. Faith in Christ and Christ's faithfulness to us. But as James show us, faith must be followed by works. As he said, faith without works is dead. Faith demonstrates or is demonstrated by works. The caring for those who are least, for those who are poor and oppressed is the fruit of faith in Jesus Christ. I think the point of this story is to remind us that there are things the church does simply because we follow and seek to serve Christ due to our faith in Christ. Like the sheep, we may be surprised to learn that when we serve those who are least, we also serve Him. To serve Him means to serve those He loves. To serve those whom He loves is to see Him, to know Him, to love Him, and to be His. And we may be surprised where we find Him at work in the lives of people we might otherwise never have anything to do with. He calls us to come and join Him in serving those who hunger, who thirst, those who are outcast, those who are alone, those who are oppressed, those who have been given up by society. I want to tell you a story about what that looks like. Thursday night at the invitation of someone related to our congregation, I attended the worship service at Bethel Colony of Mercy in Lenore, North Carolina. Bethel Colony is a faith-based, actually Jesus-based rehab center. It's an addiction treatment center for men who are addicted to drugs and alcohol. For many of them, it's a last chance and a last resort. They teach the men about God's love for them and about the freedom and new life that Christ provides for them and will give to them. Without question, the men who are residents of that facility have known what it is to be alone and oppressed. They've known the bare-knuckle beatdown that comes from self-loathing and addiction and hating yourself for something you can't stop doing. They know the deepest of oppressions. And this story is about one of those men. The person that I was visiting told me that when that man left his home to come to Bethel, there were divorce papers laying on his kitchen table. That his family was about to erupt. And he was about to lose everything. As a last resort and a desperate attempt to keep his wife at home and preserve his family, this man had come to Bethel because he had heard that there he could find new life. And after several prayers, the pastor called the men forward to pray not just for themselves, but their families and others who they had hurt, to ask Christ for forgiveness, for mercy, and for new life. The father went forward to pray. 
He came to the two steps at the platform. He fell to his knees and he collapsed on his forearms with a thud. His face hitting the carpet. And he began to pray. He was praying so hard that his whole body was shaking. His face was bright red from the strain and the heat of pushing out painful tears. His hurt was that visible. His oppression was visible. His desire for mercy could be heard and seen. It was all I could do not to walk forward and hug him and hold him. And I should have. After he had been there a few minutes and as I was wishing I had the courage to walk up and be with him in a strange place to hold a stranger, I saw movement out of the corner of my left eye. And I noticed a little girl standing up. She walked to the end of her pew and down the side aisle of the chapel to the front of the chapel. I thought maybe she was responding to the preacher's words about Christ's offer of new life. And I wondered if she had truly understood what the preacher had said, and I was moved by her trust and her faith. And then it happened. I suddenly realized what she was actually responding to. She wasn't responding to the preacher. The man who had fallen on the floor was her daddy. It wasn't the words of the preacher she was responding to, but the pain, the prayers, and the needs of her daddy. And that little tiny girl walked up in front of all those people she didn't know, fell to her knees, her forearms and her face on the carpet and cried and prayed with her daddy. She didn't want him to be alone in his hurt. As I fought the urge to sob uncontrolledly, I thought about today's text and realized that in what the tiny little girl had done for her daddy, God was showing me and all of us what it looks like to live and love with those who are least. With those who are oppressed, with those who are immersed in hurt and alone. That little girl waded into the middle of hurt that I was afraid to enter. To kneel beside her daddy and love him. That, dear ones, is what Christ did for us. 
and what Christ wants us to do for others. To join them in their hurts. To kneel down with them. And to love them. That's what it looks like to love those whom Christ loves. Who Christ our King loves. Amen. Amen and amen.